Let me know. We're good? Good. Okay, thank you. I repeat, today we're going to be dealing with Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. However, can you say however? Before we do this, I think we need a special thank you to all the mothers and ladies in this house. So this is what I'd like for you to do, ladies. I would like for you, I said ladies and mothers, that includes every woman. So every lady and woman, would you please stand up, please? Come on, don't be reluctant, stand up. And gentlemen, would you please either give them a hand of applause? Come on, let's do that. And we really want to thank you, ladies and mothers, for being such a sustaining force in our lives. <clears throat> you may sit. Of course, you already have. And I'm hoping that I don't make the same type of blunders last week, this week. I hope I won't. I want you to know that I kept rearranging these, plate, these pages and I never could get them like I wanted to, so I just stopped and I hope this message today is coherent. One more note before we begin. Last week, the subject was the subjection of husbands and wives, women and children, their parents, and so on. This passage is, in particular, deal with the utmost subjection to his father. And I'm not going to say anymore. I think you'll get the point as we go on. And I say this once again. The subjection of him who is and was and who is coming. I'm going to try to go slow. So here we go. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Paul's encouragement to the Philippian Christians based upon the example of Christ the Lord, their Lord. Next. I'm using the King James Version this morning along with the New American Standard Bible uh, because it's very um, enlightening, very... Uh, explanatory, beginning with Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, I'm reading the verses first, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels or affection and mercies of compassion, fulfill ye, there's that old English word, ye, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of the one accord, of one mind. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Next, Philippians 2, 4 through 6. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Next, Philippians 2 through 7 and 8. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. That's a humiliation I was talking about. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verses 9 through 11. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus. I like to put the word in there, Yeshua. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, 
and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I get an amen? Another amen. Now let's go back to the beginning with verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation or encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels or affection and mercies or compassion. Here's from the teacher's commentary. The intensity of Paul's plea indicates that there was serious personal strife for place among the Philippians Christians. I'm going to say that again. The intensity of Paul's plea indicates that there was serious personal strife for place among the Philippian Christians. I'm going to add here my own comment. Anytime the word of God is preached sincerely and sincerely and exegetically, there's going to be problems because Satan does not want the word of God to be heard by those who are in attendance. Can I get an amen? amen. You can be sure if any preacher is preaching and teaching the word of God, there's going to be opposition. I'm going to say this again. The intensity of Paul's plea anyone, any preacher, teacher, whoever you are, we ought to have an intensity, a longing, a hunger for the Word of God. Can I get an amen? Let me ask you, are you intense? Do you have a longing for God's word? Are you hungry for the word of God? The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after the word of God. Is that you? Is it me? Or as Pastor Jack mentioned yesterday or a few days ago, are we apathetic? We don't care if we read the word of God or not. It doesn't make any difference to us. May I add, for you and me, that's right, you and me, what a pity. More comments on verse 1 from the Brethren New Testament commentary. If there be, this does not imply a doubt in Paul's mind as to the positive existence in Christ of the grace's name. But he wishes to impress the Philippians with a sense of duty to fulfill his joy. What do you mean by that, Brother Bruce? Paul was in prison at the time. But he had a special interest to every church who he ministered to. And it brings a preacher joy when he sees the members come to a growth in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul wanted. He wanted his joy fulfilled. And as you may already know, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy. Can I get an amen? amen. Let, let me ask you a pointed question. Do you have any joy in Christ? Do you have any love in Christ? It's called, somebody said absolutely. Do you have that agape love? The love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Which is as positive as that those graces exist in Christ and whom they do exist in fact. Maybe I better repeat that so you get the coherence of this. This does not imply a doubt in Paul's mind as to the positive existence in Christ of the graces named here, but he wishes to impress the Philippians with a sense of duty. Let me ask you, Whether it's this church or another Bible-believing church, 
do you and I have a sense of duty of going to the prayer meeting, Bible time, being there to support the pastor, the ministers, the deacon? Do you have a sense of duty or you just come any old time you want? Can I get an amen? amen. I hope some of you and me get convicted. We ought to be coming to a prayer meeting. We ought to be going to a Bible study. It's not an on and off thing. It's something. It's a sense of duty. Unless you are physically incapacitated. I know there are hindrances. But you can make the best effort that you can. Let me add this. If you have a work schedule and you've got to be at work, I bet your bottom dollar you'll make every effort to be there. Can I get a witness? Why can't we be that way about church? About hearing the word of God, studying the word of God. If you're interested, just in case, and I hope you are, we have prayer meeting here at 4 o'clock on Mondays. And we have Bible study at 6 o'clock on Thursdays, if you're interested. We're intense. We get into the word of God. We even pray for others, including ourselves. McKnight on the epistles. Wherefore, since you saw me suffer in your city for the gospel, and hear that I am now suffering for it in Rome, Roman prison, if there be any encouragement in Christ to them who suffer for him, if such receive any alleviation of their grief from the love which their brethren bear to them, if any relationship or relation be established among the disciples of Christ by their partaking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I know it says spirit, but I added the word holy. Next, we want affection, tender mercies, if there be in his disciples any affectionate sympathy and tender feelings of compassion towards his afflicted for his sake. Next, verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of the one accord of one mind. Next. Make my joy complete. Verse 2. You ought to complete my joy who have suffered so much to bring you into the possession of these blessings by being like-minded with myself, having the same love to God. I'm going to stop right there. Say love to God. Do you and I have any love for God? You have to ask yourself that question. You ought to complete my joy, who have suffered so much to bring you into the possession of these blessings being like-minded with myself, having the same love to God, his cause and me as I have him and him, his cause and you. I'm going to stop again, and this is not in your notes or anything. It's not in my notes. God has called every born-again Christian. He didn't leave you out. He has a mission. Can you say the word mission? He has a mission for you. He has given you a gift from the Holy Spirit to complete that mission. Right, there I go. There's that blunder. Mission. How many remember Mission Impossible? Can you raise your hand? Remember that? They were on a mission. Well, God has you on a mission. I don't know what it is, but he has you on a mission. Some of you, including me and others, he spared our life several times. Can I get an amen? Because he wants you to complete your task so that he may say, well done. Being a one accord, being perfectly agreed in labor and laboring. Hope when I become a Christian, everything's going to be hunky-dory. You are mistaken. When you are a Christian, and don't get me wrong, all hell breaks loose. Because now that you're saved, 
and save forever Satan wants to invade and make your witness for Jesus Christ defunct. But don't forget, greater, some of you can finish this, is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You got the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God lived within every born-again Christian to help you overcome. Of one mind, being constantly intent upon this great subject, keeping your eye fixed upon it in all you do or intend. Next page, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You know that's the King James. Here's the NASB. New American Standard Bible. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, I wanted to say lowliness, humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Well, what do you mean by that, Brother Bruce? In God's sight, all Christians are on the same level. This verse indicates that although we're on the same level, we are to esteem our Christian brothers and sisters better than ourselves. Put them in first place. Look to their needs. What do they need? Do they need prayer? Do they need food? Do they need a ride home? Do they need a word of encouragement like I got this morning? What do they need? Look to their interests. Don't look on your own self as if you're so important. Nobody's saying amen to that. <laughs> Next, never be opposed to each other. Never act from separate interests. You are all brethren and of one body. What's the body? Somebody said it. Say it again. Body of Christ. Therefore, let every member feel and labor for the welfare of the whole. And in the exercise of your different functions, say functions. There it is again. Function. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but a Christian brother really, he really gave me some joy this morning. He was walking around the block and inviting people to come to church. Can I get an amen? And the exercise of your different functions, different functions, and in the use of your various gifts, do nothing so as to promote your own reputation separately considered from the comfort, honor, and advantage of all. Next, continue from Adam Clark commentary. I'm saying that because I want the people who regulate the PowerPoint to keep up with me. We had a, we had a, um, it wasn't a disagreement, but I had them all over the place, and I don't want to do that to them. But in lowliness of mind, have, have always a humbling view of yourselves, and this will lead you to prefer others to yourself, for as you know, your own secret defects, well, I don't have any defects, I'm perfect. You're kidding yourself. All Christians have defects. Can I get an amen? amen? Charity will lead you to support that your brethren are more holy and more devoted to God than you are. And they will think the same thing of you. Their secret defects. If you hang around some of us enough, you'll see that we have some defects. All you got to do is hang around us a little bit. Can I get a witness? Next. Verse 4. Let not every man, oh, excuse me, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And here we go again. Another version, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Next, this is Albert Barnes. 
That is, be not selfish. Do not let your own care and attention be wholly absorbed by your own concerns or by the concerns of your own family. Evince a tender interest for the happiness of the whole and let the welfare of others lie near to your hearts. Somebody prayed for me this morning personally. I'm not going to tell you who it is because that wouldn't be right. But I needed prayer. Sometimes people praying for you at, a, at that very can really spark you on to do what's in the will of God. Can I get an amen? This, of course, does not mean that there is to be an improper interference in the business of others. When you say that, Brother Bruce, don't be a busybody. Or that we ought to have the character of busybodies in other men's matters. <clears throat> but that we are to regard with appropriate solicitude, that is care, the welfare of others and to strive to do them good. I'm going to ask you another pointed question. Do you have anybody you're striving to do good to if they allow you to do it? Anyone at all? <clears throat> Let this smile next. Have this attitude. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Next. Verse 6. Who? I hope you're paying attention because now it's going to get rather detailed. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God? And here's a better translation. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not... God, equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Now, I want you to compare it again. Here it is. Next. Let's compare two versions of verse 6 again. Who being. Say, can, you stay with, can you say the word being? Come on, talk louder. Being. We're getting ready to get into it. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped for. Let's move on, Brother Bruce. I see they might be getting bored. <laughs> Next. Amen. I like that. Who, being in the form of God? Robertson's. Any preacher who delivers the word of God, it is his duty to consult various translations, various exegetical commentaries so that he has his mind focused on who Jesus is and every everything that the word of God permits. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Who being in the form of God. This is Robertson's New Testament word picture states that being in the form of God means eternal existence in the form of God. I got more comments on that coming up soon. More comments on eternal existence later, but right now, let's concentrate on the word being. Can you say the word being again? Being. Come on, speak up, being. being. All right, here we go. Next, this starts out with Philippians 2.6. Who being in the form of God? More comments on being. In the phrase, who being? The word being is found in Matthew 19.21, where it is translated possessions. I hope I'm, I want to slow, that, slow down now. The word being in Matthew 19.21 is translated possessions. Well, how did you arrive at that? In the New American Standard Bible, Jesus said to him, the rich friend, Rich, young ruler. If you wish to be complete, or as the King James says, if you wish to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Next. 
while the word sets forth the present reality of the young man's possession, it also points to prior existence. The property and assets of the ruler must refer to the past, both as to their origin and the young man's coming into possession of them. It describes the ruler's worldly belongings and riches, which he began to accumulate in the past and was still gathering at the time of his confrontation with Christ. I'm going to get a, a little bit off course here, and I knew I was, but I want you to get this. Say confrontation with Christ. Come on, say it. Confrontation. Have you had, if I can put it this way, a confrontation with Jesus Christ? Has he spoken to you in this manner and that manner? I'm going to let that go because I want to really focus on what I'm saying. We're involved in the word being, in the word possessions. And notice, he accumulated them in the past, and they're still in his possession. But what's that got to do with who being in the form of God? Next. Here's what it has to do, although it's not on the screen. <clears throat> the rich young ruler had possessions. As spoken of with Christ, the word being is, he was in the form of God, and he continued to be in the form of God. That's very important when you consider who Jesus is. Here's another example of being, Galatians chapter 2, verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, which is Peter, in the presence of all, if you, Peter, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter was next. Peter was racially exactly what he had been all his life. Originally, basically, presently, Peter was a Jew. And may I add this? Originally, basically, and presently, Jesus Christ was in the form of God. Can I get an amen? I don't think you're getting it, but as we go on, maybe you will. Here's another exciting one about the word being. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is, that's that word being, in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before I go on a rabbit trail, and I don't want to do that, I must say this. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back for his bride. Who's the bride? The church. He's coming back. Let me ask you, are you ready? The great commonwealth or citizenship in which the saved are citizens. I'm going to stop again. In the front of the building, if you came in the front, there's a sign up there. It says, are you saints? You don't realize how important it is for you to be saved. Can I get an amen? amen. Saved for Christ. And saved from eternal damnation, separation from him forever. Saved for Christ in order to give praise to his name and lift up the name above every name, which is at the end of what this sermon. Let me ask you, how are you and I doing of lifting up the name that's above every name? Or, I'm including myself, are we ashamed to lift up his name in front of other people? And does our lifestyle reflect 
our praise. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyhow. And I hope I won't mess it up. Can I get an amen? amen. If you're living like the devil, Christian, there's no use to you trying to tell people, praise God. The great commonwealth or citizenship with the saved or citizens has its fixed location in heaven where its head, God, abides. Its existence does not date back from the moment of the first conversion or from the entrance of the first citizen into it. It is now, next, it is now what and where it has been from the beginning in the eternal sovereign plan of God. Let me put it this way. I want to say this right. I don't want to bungle it. Before the foundation of the world, before you and I got saved, God had already planted and maintained a place for you in glory. I'm not going to go any further with that because I'm sure there's some questions about it. But you can see from the word of God, especially in Ephesians, God's sovereign plan before the world was even created, God had already selected you to be a part of the citizenship of those who are in heaven. And I don't want you to get stuck on the word heaven because Heaven and earth are going to be united. And whether you live on earth or whether you live on heaven or in heaven, you must be born again. You must be. It's not an option. You must be born again. And I'm going to repeat this for my sake and for yours. When I see him, I want him to be able to say, well done. With reference to Christ, next. That's what it starts out with. With reference to Christ. The word being denotes the fact that our Lord had a previous existence. Say previous existence. Before I go on. Before Abraham was. Somebody say the rest. I am. That's what Jesus said. Before Abraham came into existence. Ego, Amy, I am. With reference to Christ, the word being denotes the fact that our Lord had a previous existence that it consisted in the state of being in the beginning and from the beginning. Now get this, get it close. While the world I didn't say that correctly. While the word does not positively assert eternal existence, it denotes prior existence and is entirely compatible with the pre-incarnate. What do you mean by that? Say pre-incarnate. What do you mean by that, Brother Bruce? It means before he became a man, before he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. He had an existence before that. It shows clearly that, that the time when our Lord gave expression to his essential nature of deity was prior to his becoming the man. Okay, let me stop right there. Before he became a man in the form of God, he had an essential nature of bless, bliss, bliss, 
What do you mean by that? I mean just what I said. Jesus Christ, or we can call him the Son of God, had a glory. Next. The word being denotes prior existence, but does not necessarily mean eternal existence. The latter idea, eternal existence, however, follows in the present instance from the conception of the divinity of Christ, which the context supposes. Next. Well, what's the context, Brother Bruce? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped? He didn't hold on to it. He was equal to his father. But he didn't grasp on it. He came in the form of a servant. Can I get an amen? The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that includes you and me. The Son of God, the Son of Man. Let me repeat that. The Son of God came to seek. That's right. He did the seeking. Before you got saved, you thought you were doing the seeking, and you were. But before you were start seeking, he was seeking you. No amen to that. Next. The word form or morphe means the permanent, constant being of a person. It is the very essence of that person, that part of him or her that never changes. There's something about you and me that never changes. I don't care how old you get. That's your morphe expressed outwardly. It is the unchangeable being, Barclay. Another biblical scholar points out that there is another Greek word which means form or schema, which means fleeting. Some things about you change due to age and so on, but some things never change. But before I go on, I want to say this. Each one of us, if you're saved, you went through a metamorphosis. Can I get an amen? What do you mean by that, Brother Bruce? God, through the Holy Spirit, changed you from inside to out. That's what he did. I'm going to say it again, and I said it before. It's an inside job. He was in the form of God. He didn't go through a metamorphosis until later on. I'll tell you about that. But you and I have to go through a metamorphosis. Next. In case I'm on the wrong page, people in the back, continuing from. In the form of God. The divine essence is not meant, but the external self-manifesting characteristics of God, the form shining forth from his glorious essence. I got to say that again. As soon as you turn that light on, there's a form, there's a lighting of the true essence of what that light is all about. So too with you and me. When you get saved, when God commits that metamorphosis, you begin to exhibit the qualities that God and the Son wants you to be. And as the old song, I don't know if it's young or old, he's still working on me. The divine nature had infinite beauty in itself. I, I don't want you to miss this. The divine nature had infinite beauty in itself. 
even without any creature contemplating that beauty, that beauty was the form of God. Next. You got to get this. Pastor Jack and I went over this, and we, we start getting excited. To say, therefore, yes, we get excited. Is it okay to get excited? Yes, it is. Why shouldn't you get excited? You've been saved for eternity. Does that mean you can go out and do anything you want? No, it doesn't. Matter of fact, if you have the Holy Spirit, he tries to prevent you from doing anything you want to do. Romans chapter 6. To say, therefore, that Christ existed in the form of God is to say outside the human nature of Christ had no other manner of existing apart from existing in the form of God. That is, apart from being in the possession, say possession. I'm going to add this to the text. Jesus Christ possessed the form of God forever. There was no starting point. He always had it, and that's reflected in the word being. In context, this somewhat puzzling expression that appears to be a cautious hidden way for the author to say that Christ was God. I'm going to say this again. The person, I don't, hear, I don't, I don't even care if you get tired of me saying it. Can I get an amen? amen. The person who died on that cross was none other than the eternal Son of God. And he took every jot and every tittle of everything that you ever could commit which was wrong and deceitful and dishonest. He took upon himself and he said these memorial words. I'm glad I got some Kleenex. My God, my God, complete the rest. Why have you forsaken me? He took upon him the form of a servant and the likeness of men. And I'm going to say it again. Every rotten, stinking thing that you and I have ever committed, he laid it. He had it laid upon himself by God the Father. Where'd you get that, Brother Bruce, Isaiah? 51. This somewhat puzzling expression then appears to be a cautious hidden way for the author to say that Christ was God. Why don't you validate that, Brother Bruce? Well, I've said it too many times, but I'll say it anyhow. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That doesn't mean, for those who don't know it, that doesn't mean that he was God the Father. He was God the Son. It appears to be a statement made by one who perhaps, although reared as, as a strict one God person, that's Paul. Let me slow down so you can get it. It appears to be a statement made by one who perhaps, although reared as a strict one God person, that is a monotheist, that means one God, and thus unable to bring himself to say Christ is God, was compelled Nevertheless, by the sheer force of personal encounter, Paul had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And if you've been saved, you had a personal encounter with the Son of God, the Son of Man. With a resurrected, that's right, resurrected. And living Christ to bear witness as best he could to the reality of Christ's divinity, or I could put deity. When Paul met Jesus on the way to killing Christians, he had a personal encounter. I'm not saying that you have an encounter like that. But you must have an encounter somewhere down there. Maybe you were convicted of your sin. Maybe you like another person who was reading the Bible 
Years ago, I still remember it. This is what he, he said through the Holy Spirit. He didn't say those words. He says, it came to him as he read, Jesus was God. That's what he said. I still remember it. In case you're wondering, monotheists, can you say that word, monotheist? <coughs> husband and wife were one. He considers husband and wife as one. And I'm going to add those, this to those who already know it. The word ekad in the Hebrew means plurality, as opposed to another word, yakid, which means one absolutely. You can look it up. Husband and wife are one, and God the Father and God the Son. I'm going to try to make this as plain as I can. Share the same eternal essence, and yet they are two persons. Next. Form of a servant, which is in contrast and opposition to it, takes for granted the existence of his human nature. So the form of God takes for granted his divine nature. Next, verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. And I already went over this, so I'm going to just let you read it. And I don't want to defunct those who are listening around the world. Verse 7, you see it. Here we go. Here we go again. He emptied himself. Say emptied himself. Well, what did he empty himself of? What do, you, what do you mean by that? Emptied himself. Next. Made himself of no reputation. By no means conveys the sense of the original. According to this, it would seem that he consented to be without distinction or honor or that he was willing to be despised or regarded. Next. He emptied himself. He did not appear in his glory, for he assumed the form of a servant being made in the likeness of man. And this being made in the likeness of man and assuming the form of a servant was a proof that he had emptied himself, laid aside the effulgence of his glory. Effulgence of his glory. Where'd you get that from, Pastor Bruce, Brother Bruce? Here we go, Hebrews chapter 1. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Can I get an amen? Did you get that? Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power and he's the radiance of his Father's glory. And I'm not going to sing unless you want to sing with me upholds all things by the word of his power. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Amen. Can I get an amen? And not only do we have the whole world in his hands, he's got the whole universe in his hands. And look what he did when he made purification of sins. Whose sins? Your sins and mine. You think you did it yourself with your so-called good work. You didn't do nothing. It's all by his grace. Can I get an amen? Forgive me for getting so loud. It's time to get loud for Jesus. It's Time to proclaim the name that's above every name. Let all the earth, let all the redeemed say, Amen. While he was on earth, this is what he said. Now, Father, glorify me together. Say together. Did you notice that? Together. 
Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. That word together means alongside. They're equal. But he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you. Notice the next part. Before the world was. Before anything existed, he had a glory alongside of his father, which the angels beheld. I'm on my last several pages. We are not to suppose that, no, no, no change, no change. We are not to suppose that he lost anything which he had before or that he ceased to be in the form of God by taking on him the form of man. No, he had the same essential glory, the same real dignity which he ever had, but among men concealed it, appeared not in majesty and glory like to God, by, but by... That's right, slow down but divested himself of every dazzling appearance and every outward mark of majesty and greatness, condescending to appear and act and converse as a man, like unto all things, sin only accepted. Do you know Jesus was like any other man? One thing was different. He had no sin. Let me give you two verses about the transfiguration where he underwent a metamorphosis and was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was as white as the light. That's Jesus. Here's another one. And after six days Jesus takes with him Peter, James and John and leads them up into a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured, metamorphosed. The real Jesus, the real morphe of God, shined through his humanity. Thank you. Next, if you're on the God man, you're on the right page. As God, he forgave sins. He has a right to forgive sins. He paid for your sin. Can I get an Amen. He paid for him. He has a right to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. He commanded the forces of nature. He said to, uh, when he was in that ship, be still. And if you know anything about the Greek, at least in one instance, the sea immediately was still. It didn't go like this way. It's still right away. He gives life or gave life to whomever he pleased. Tom sounds like me. He comes some kind of election. I'm speaking to my brother in Christ. Gave life to whomever he pleased. As a man, he grew physically, intellectually, socially, and spiritually. He grew tired. How about that? The Son of God grew tired. He slept. He sweated, hungry, and thirsty. I remember that word thirsty. Can you say the word thirsty? What did he say on the cross? I thirst. The God man continued. As God, he purchased the church with God's own blood. Did you get that? Acts 20, 28. God purchased the church with God's own blood. That's what it says. You can look it up. The rulers of this world unwittingly crucified the Lord of glory. He is the Lord of glory. Colossians 2, 9. In him, in Jesus, lies all, say all, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He still has a human body. He still connects himself with mankind. He's still your Savior. He's still the Lord of glory. After rising from the dead. That's right, he rose from the dead physically. I got to add that because a lot of people say he didn't rise from the dead. 
According to the word of God, he did rise from the dead. He ate and he drank with people and let them see his scars and touch his body. Well, last one, verses 8 through 11. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If you knew anything about the Roman crucifixion, and I know I said this last week, it was the most horrible type of death that they could devise. I'm just going to go into one detail, and you probably know the rest. I'm, I'm not going to center on his hands or his feet. I'm going to center on his head. Do you know that crown of thorns, you can look at it over there, when they put them on his head, do you know they beat the, they beat the thorns into his head? Do you know that? Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. What do you mean by that, Jesus is Lord? Say, Jesus is Lord, please. Jesus. Say it louder. Jesus is, Lord. Jesus is Lord. Do you know in the Tetragrammaton, that's the four letters of the Hebrew alphabet, Jesus is Yahweh. That's who he is. God sent Yahweh the Son to pay. That's how much he loved you and me. He sent Yahweh, the Son, God the Son, for you and me. Should confess that Jesus is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. Imagine that. Think about it. You don't take any glory away from God when you look to his Son. You actually supplement his, his Father. Can I get an amen? Amen. With every head bowed and not no, I'm not going to try to take you through a sinner's prayer. I'm just going to pray. Would you put your head down, please? Lord, there might be some here, and there probably are some here who don't know you as their personal Savior. I hope they won't forget your message, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. They can do it now or they can do it later throughout eternity. But every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that you indeed are Lord, you are Yahweh. Help them never to forget that you're the one who paid the debt of their sin in full to Telestai. I pray that you put an urge in their heart, an inclination in their being, a spark, anything to get their attention that they need to get saved. In the name above all names, in Yeshua's name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. Take this off for